here we are. The Super Bowl out of the way. No NBA playoff action for a while. Hockey playoffs are still on the horizon. Opening day in baseball is more than a month away. It's getting a slight bit warmer in most parts of the country. It's been going on for a while, but now we all have our full attention, for the most part, on college basketball. So, of course, this is the perfect time to check in with the one and only John Rothstein, college basketball insider of CBS Sports, content creator, fan duel, and host of the College Hoops Today podcast, the only college basketball podcast that runs 52 weeks of the year. John, as always, thanks for the time, man. How are you? Never better. Great to be with you as always. This is only February. Uh, it's only February, and you you are always locked in, but this is the time where everybody else kind of starts to fully pay attention to college hoops. So now you've got a little more uh, company with you as you watch all these games. Yeah, people are starting to join from the periphery after obviously other sports have concluded, but there is no change in the world of a college basketball junkie, whether it's the day of the national title game or a day in July where you're trying to forecast who's going to finish sixth in the Big East for the upcoming year. <laughs> I do have to admit, though, there are times where when, when I'm in the weeds getting ready for a college football game or NFL Sunday and it's you know mid-October and you're tweeting it's 14 days till opening day or 111 days to selection Sunday, there are times where I want to – to like tell you to calm down a little bit, but that's why you're you. And that's I'm always thankful the reminder that it's basically always college basketball season. That's right. I'm unapologetic for who I am 365 <laughs> days a year, seven days a week. Um, so we got a, a look from the committee over the weekend. Their top 16 seeds at the moment moving towards wow. Selection Sunday. I mean, I don't think it matters that much, but I think what matters to me is who you think is number one right now. So who's your best team in the country as of February 20th? We don't have one, and that's not a cop-out answer. It's the absolute truth. College basketball is as balanced this year as we've seen in a number of years. It really reminds me of the 2010-11 season 12 years ago when UConn, a three-seed, who was 9-9 and in Big East play, went on to win the national championship in the final four that year. UConn played Kentucky, who was a four seed, and the other national semifinal featured Butler, who was an eight seed, against VCU, who started that NCAA tournament in the first four. So I think there's a real, real chance that we could get to Houston and we could not have a single one seed in the final four and maybe even a two seed. So I usually like clarity. So my question is, is it good or bad that we don't know who number one is this late in February. I think the unpredictable nature of college basketball with roster turnover, with things that obviously have that type of dynamic creates an unpredictability that's appealing to people from the periphery. And I think people love upsets and Cinderella stories at the beginning. I think people love St. Peter's when they're David and they play Goliath in Kentucky, they play Goliath in Purdue. But I think when we're getting into the depths of the NCAA tournament, a lot of people love brand-name programs playing for the greatest prize in college basketball. And I think that's why last year you had the great run from St. Peter's all the way to the Elite Eight. But when you thought about a made-for-television Final Four last year with Carolina playing Duke in what was the biggest rubber match in the history of college basketball, and then on the other side having Kansas and Villanova, I don't know from a branding perspective in nearly 20 years on this beat if I've ever seen a Final Four really align better than that one. 
John, Purdue and Zach Eady, I think, have been number one for the most part of this season, the most weeks at number one, but they've slumped here a little bit. Is it just a slump, or have we exposed some weaknesses in them? Well, I think the one thing that we have to remind ourselves with Purdue is that Purdue is going to go to battle moving forward with two freshman guards, and the freshman guards have been absolutely terrific, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. But if you're talking about winning a national championship, if you're talking about making a Final Four, you have to usually have elite guard play. Let's go through right now the backcourts that played in the Final Four last year. Villanova had Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore, who obviously injured his Achilles against Houston in the Elite Eight. Kansas had Remy Martin, Ochai Baji, Christian Brown, and Dewan Harris. Duke had Jeremy Roach and Trevor Keels. And then you look at North Carolina, they had Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. Purdue's guards are the million-dollar question right now that we're going to see obviously play out over the next six weeks. And make no mistake about it, and I think it's important to put this out there as we are just 20 days away, Andrew, from Selection Sunday, not that anybody's counting. (laughs) Anything less than a trip to the Final Four in Houston will be a massive, massive disappointment for Purdue's staff its program, and its long-suffering fan base. Now, why do I say they're a long-suffering fan base? Think about what's happened to this basketball program in the last five years. 2018, you have a team that's good enough to get to a Final Four. In the NCAA tournament, Isaac Haas suffers an elbow injury. Purdue loses in the Sweet 16 to Texas Tech. 2019, you have a team that is inches away from a Final Four in the Elite Eight against Virginia, and we see that miracle play from Kihei Clark to Mamadi Diakite as Virginia sends the game into overtime and then wins and goes to the Final Four and wins a national championship. Purdue had that game in hand. And then last year, you've got a team with a lottery pick in Jaden Ivey, with Zach Eady, with Travion Williams, with Sasha Stefanovic, and they go down to St. Peter's in the Sweet 16. If Purdue doesn't make the Final Four, it will be viewed as a massive disappointment. And remember this, if Purdue is the number one seed in the South region, Purdue will have to play Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games if it advances there at the KFC Young Center in Louisville, which is the same venue that Purdue lost to Virginia in the Elite Eight four years ago in 2019. We sleep in Mexico. Uh, there's nobody like John Rothstein. He's with us here this morning on CBS Sports Radio. CBS Sports, FanDuel, the host of the College Hoops Today podcast. Uh, you've already mentioned North Carolina more than once this morning, John. Are they, And two more losses this last week for them. Are they the most disappointing team in America right now? I don't think there's any question. And look, the bottom line is this. Player retention is the biggest key normally in college basketball. Think about last year's Final Four. 17 of the 20 players who started in last year's Final Four were in their program the season prior. The three who weren't were Brady Maddox, who transferred to North Carolina from Oklahoma, and two freshmen at Duke, Paolo Bancaro and A.J. Griffin. The Tar Heels brought back four starters from a team that had a 15-point lead in the national championship game against Kansas and fell to 15-11 on Sunday with a loss against NC State and 0-9 in quad one opportunities. But North Carolina did not bring back Brady Manick, who was the key to that run last year 
because of the way that he's opened up the floor for everybody else. But the real dynamic I think that we're seeing is you have guys who came back to college and obviously want to continue to augment not just their present but their future. And we don't have, and from my perspective, equal shot distribution. Caleb Love has taken 415 shots this season. Armando Baycott has only taken 293. That's Hmm. too much of a discrepancy, from my opinion, Andrew, for the Tar Heels to get where they want to go. North Carolina's got four regular season games remaining. At Florida State, at Notre Dame, home Virginia, home Duke. Got to win a minimum of three out of four to have any chance of putting yourself in position to be in position on Selection Sunday. For a while, Kentucky was with them on that disappointing list. Still not a great year for them, but they did just take down Tennessee again. Are they getting right, so to speak? Are the Wildcats dangerous, or is this going to be a disappointing end to a disappointing season? Well, think about this. If you have Kentucky right now in the NCAA tournament, and Kentucky can play its way into that 8-9 area of the bracket, there is going to be a number one seed. Maybe it's Houston, maybe it's Alabama, maybe it's Kansas, maybe it's Purdue, that in the second round of the NCAA tournament to go to the Sweet 16 could look across the sideline and see a Hall of Fame coach in John Calipari, the reigning national player of the year in Oscar Shibway, a potential lottery pick at the lead guard in Kaysen Wallace, and a player who is burgeoning in terms of his production in Chris Livingston. The more I watch Chris Livingston, who had two great games last week for Kentucky, I see a second coming of Alex Poitras. And it was Alex Poitras that had a big run for Kentucky nine years ago in the 13-14 season when Kentucky didn't have a great regular season, but wound up going all the way to the national title game and losing to UConn. Where did Kentucky start that season's NCAA tournament? In an 8-9 game against Kansas State. And then if you remember, Kentucky beat Wichita State with a Wichita State team that started that season undefeated and the rest is history. But Andrew, this is only February. (laughs) Uh, And and today in February, there's a big game in the Big 12 uh, that I know you're pumped for. Tell America about TCU, in particular Mike Miles. TCU is 15-3 and three this season with Mike Miles in the lineup. They are 3-6 and six when he is not in the lineup. Mike Miles is the Big 12 preseason player of the year, and with Mike Miles in the lineup, TCU went to Allen Fieldhouse in January and beat Kansas by 23 points. At full strength, TCU is the best team in the Big 12, which is the best conference in college basketball. I talked to Scott Drew from Baylor last week, and he told me, John, TCU is final for good. And remember this, without Mike Miles, TCU took Baylor to the brink nine days ago in Fort Worth and only lost by four points at full strength. They've wanted Kansas. They've wanted Baylor. Tonight's game in Fort Worth feels like an Elite Eight caliber showdown. I want to give some love uh, to the to the Pac-12 out west for a second. Mick Cronin was angry about that seed reveal over the weekend. They're the Bruins that right now are fourth in the AP poll, but they were eighth, I think, on that list. Who's right, yeah. Mick Cronin or the committee right now? Look, the bottom line is this. UCLA's big wins have not bared the fruit, I think, that obviously they hoped that they would. And what I mean by that is UCLA, when it put its schedule together and found out 
that it was going to play Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic, UCLA felt for all intents and purposes that that would be a marquee victory. It's obviously a great victory. You don't want to lose the game, but Kentucky has not, have not had the type of season that obviously it hoped. But here's the bottom line. The only thing that matters is your next game because if you don't win your next game, you're not going to be in a situation to not just move up the seed line but maintain, maintain the, the seed line that you have. And here's an interesting thing when you look at the resumes. UCLA right now has a chance to have three quad one wins in its final four regular season games at Utah, at Colorado, and then next week they're going to come home and play Arizona at Poly Pavilion and also play Arizona State. That doesn't include the Pac-12 tournament. Houston, who was a projected number one seed, has a similar resume to UCLA. Four quad one wins. UCLA right now has five. Houston also has a quad three loss. Houston is the most vulnerable of the number one seeds. And if you look right now, just based on a win perspective in the quadrants, UCLA has more quad one wins and has no quad three losses, but there is obviously more to the resume than that. Houston beat Memphis yesterday without Kendrick Davis. They'll get another crack in the Tigers at FedEx Forum coming up the last weekend of the season. John, I've known you for a while. You know my affection for the Atlantic 10, which seems destined to be a one-bid league this year. Is that a one-year blip or more about the overall standing of that conference in college hoops right now? It's the mismanagement of the Atlantic 10, if we're going to be frank and candid. I mean, the bottom line is this. The Atlantic 10, 10 years ago, had five teams in the NCAA tournament. The Atlantic 10, nine years ago, had six teams in the NCAA tournament. And that six-bid run in 2014 came after Xavier, Butler, and Temple left the league. But then the move to go from 16 to 18 league games affected the scheduling flexibility for this league to have more opportunities in the non-conference portion of the schedule to boost their standing and therefore boost the entire league standing. Since the Atlantic 10 went to that 18-game league format, the league has not had more than three teams in the NCAA tournament. It has been a constant downward spiral for a conference again that just nine or ten years ago had incredible representation in the NCAA tournament. The Atlantic 10 will be a one-bid league, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. Now, there are plenty of Atlantic 10 coaches that I'm sure have said this to you directly. They say other schools won't play them. Is there is that a fair argument to, to some extent? Well, this is what we have to understand for, for a second. You know, we are now working via the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee with a quadrant system. So what does that mean? It means that you have to be, you know, I think, you know, in detail enough to put together a non-conference schedule where you're going against teams that can give you the types of wins you're looking for. And a perfect example, Andrew, is what the WCC has done. The West Coast Conference last year got three teams in the NCAA tournament. This is a league that has stayed at 16 league games. San Francisco, when Todd Golden was there last year, now the head coach of Florida, scheduled to the point where it could get enough opportunities. And for people who don't understand, obviously, what the quadrant system means, let me explain it. If you are to earn a quad one victory, that means that you are going to beat somebody at home who is ranked one through 30 in the net. 
if you are going to get a quad one victory in a neutral setting, you are going to beat somebody who is one through 50 in the net. And if you are going to beat a quad or a quad one victory in an away setting, it has to be one through 75. So that means if you are Fordham, a win on the road, let's just say at Kansas, would also be the same as if you won a road game at New Mexico, Liberty, Oral Roberts, or North Texas. Mm. You have to secure yourself with these opportunities, and that's on the school to figure out. And the Atlantic 10 has also done nothing to help their conferences from a scheduling perspective. We have seen other leagues, and I commend them for this, like the Big East, like the Big 12, develop scheduling alliances to ensure that they're going to get quad one opportunities. The Atlantic 10 hasn't done anything of that nature. John, you're the best. I said it last hour. It's now John Rothstein season, so I'm glad to have you back on the show, and I'm sure we'll talk to you multiple times between now and early April. Thanks for today. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon, man. And, Andrew, just a public service announcement for your audience out there. There's three things that you don't bring up socially, politics, religion, and at-large resumes to bubble teams during the first two weeks of next month. (laughs) Uh, John, I love you, man. Be good. We'll talk to you soon. Later, man.